0: Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Investing from A to Z podcast. I'm your host, Steph Bodrini. This podcast is for everyone who wants to be part of our real estate family and learn commercial real estate investing from A to Z. I'll be sharing with you tips for real estate investing while being mentored by a few people with several years of experience so that you and I can get to success a lot faster. My goal is to keep things very straightforward because I value your time and you are here to learn. With that, in the last episode, we learned how you can get a commercial real estate loan, ways to partner up with seasoned operators, how to find lenders that can make creative financing available to you, And in today's episode, we are covering, can you really get a commercial loan as a first time buyer and operator? What is debt service coverage ratio? What counts as assets when you are getting a loan? What are deal killers when getting a loan? And what are some things that you should keep in mind about your commercial loans in case the economy takes a turn? We are interviewing Blake Janover. He is the founder and CEO of Janover Ventures, a commercial real estate and multifamily capital markets advisor focused on providing senior debt for commercial real estate. He has underwritten and advised on billions of dollars in commercial real estate over the last 15 years. He is an office member of the Forbes Real Estate Council and has been published in Forbes, Housing Wire, Multifamily Today, and other industry journals. Here we go. Blake, thank you so much for joining us today. I know you just got back from vacation and you have a ton of work, so I really appreciate you making the time to be with us. This has been a a topic that has been highly demanded by our audience. Why don't we get started and learn a little bit more about you?
1: Steph, thank you so much for having me. I'm not that busy nor that important, but I do have a lot of insights into the industry and I'm really excited to be on your show. I have a decade and a half of experience in commercial real estate capital markets in one capacity or another. I own a commercial real estate capital markets advisory firm called Janover Ventures. We also own some of the most trafficked websites on the internet, for anything that has to do with commercial real estate finance, like commercialrealestate.loans, multifamily.loans, cmbs.loans. These websites are primarily educational in nature. That's me and us in a nutshell.
0: Why don't we go over the very basics of commercial real estate financing, especially for first-time buyers? So far, the answer has been that People really would not be able to get a loan unless they partner up with an experienced operator. Can a first-time buyer really get a loan? Do they need to have an existing job? Does the credit score matter as much as residential? What's the minimum down payment, etc.? cetera?
1: The answer is yes, absolutely. And it's considered a credit factor. This is a risk factor. So an underwriter that analyzes credit looks at a deal and says, this is your first piece of commercial real estate this is higher risk. There are ways to mitigate it. One way to mitigate the risk is to add a partner that's highly experienced. I think it's great advice. It's not just great advice because it's what the lender wants, but generally speaking, there's a reason the lender wants it. And it's imprudent to enter into a new industry without experience and not think that there's a whole bunch of stuff that could go wrong that you don't know about. And that's what having an experienced partner is about. In some cases, you can offset experience with having an experienced third-party property manager that's got a demonstrated track record of managing similar properties in a similar submarket. and lenders will look at other things in order to offset certain risks. So they'll look at a larger down payment, for example. I'm definitely of the opinion that an experienced partner is super valuable on a first deal. But if you can hire a great shop to manage the property that has a great track record and maybe pony up some extra money, you will ultimately get a loan if the property is credit worthy. Speaking of credit worthiness, you asked me about how this differs from residential. Your hour strength is in loan amounts over $2 million for general commercial, and over $1 million for multifamily. This debt is non-recourse. It means you're not signing a personal guarantee. Your loans are non-recourse, subject to standard carve-outs. Carve-outs being if you do something materially dishonest or fraudulent, it would trigger a personal guarantee. But otherwise, it's just about underwriting the property. In residential, job, job history, personal income, these things mean something. And in bank underwriting, global cash flow is a factor. But for commercial real estate capital markets like CMBS loans, these things are not factors. Credit score is a little bit of a factor. Generally want to have better than 640 or 680 credit. In many cases, it's not a deal killer. Personal tax returns aren't taken into consideration at all for small loans over a million or 2 million, but net worth and liquidity is. And That's a function of the lender wanting to see that the key principles, the KPs, have the financial wherewithal to weather a storm. And that's not derivative of personal net income. That's derivative of how much cash you have in the bank. In these ways, it's very different. The primary underwriting metrics in residential is probably DTI, debt-to-income ratio, and LTV. LTV transcends industries. It, It matters in commercial also, but the real metric in commercial real estate is your DSCR, your debt service coverage ratio. That's a comparison of your NOI versus your debt payments. And generally, lenders will want to see you have a 1.2 minimum debt service coverage ratio. It changes product by product and asset class by asset class. But 1.2, 1.25 is a good indication of what most lenders will look at. And then there's other complicated things like, they're not complicated, but there's just a lot of other things that go into a credit decision, like debt yield and loan constants. But that would make this an awfully long podcast. And I wouldn't want to bore your listeners too much.
0: We don't mind getting bored once in a while with these important topics. But when you say 1.2, if I get a million dollar loan, does that mean that I need 1.2 million dollars in my bank account?
1: Oh, no, no, no. So from a net worth and liquidity perspective, lenders generally want to see you have a net worth greater than the loan amount. That's all your assets minus all your liabilities. So if you're borrowing a million dollars, they want to see you have a better than million dollar cumulative net worth among all the guarantors or carve out guarantors. And this isn't a hard and fast number. Liquidity is generally 10%, but I'll talk about a, a deal a little later where we went way below that. So these are not hard metrics. Debt service coverage ratio is a hard metric. And a good example is, if your monthly debt payments to your lender are $10,000 a month, your lender will want to see that you have net operating income no less than $12,000 a month. That 12,000 representing 1.2 multiple of the 10,000 debt payment.
0: And does that include the existing property in terms of asset? Let's say we have 30% down, would that 30% down count?
1: That's your money, of course. Yeah. On on a purchase uh, and on a refinance, it's based on the as is value of the property, but absolutely, that's your money. So it'll be the cumulative net worth of all the key principles in, in the borrowing entities. And usually borrowing happens in an SPE or an SAE. SPE means special purpose entity. SAE is an acronym for single asset entity. It's both the same thing. It's an LLC that only owns one thing and only takes out one loan. Yes, that's included. Your money, your assets, and those of all of the key principles that are signing the loan are included in the net worth and liquidity underwriting.
0: What are some typical deal killers for loan applications?
1: That's a good question. So we don't generally have any deal killers once we've apped a loan, like once a borrower signs an application with us because we screen deals pretty heavily up front. I'll talk to you about some pre-application killers because we do really good due diligence. So post-application, one of our biggest deal killers prior to an application is unrealistic expectations. We get inquiries that are totally not based in reality. I'm looking, you know, I'm buying a property for $5 million. I want to borrow $6 million. Okay, me too. (laughs) Let me know when you find that loan. Sometimes folks are looking for equity and we're really focused on senior debt. A big pre-application and post-application deal killer is non-disclosure. It's principals that are not telling us all their dirty little secrets and then it comes out later and it hurts everybody. I'm a big believer in just tell us everything up front and we will either figure out a way to make it work or put a bullet in it early, but everything comes out in the wash. So if you don't tell us now, it's going to come through later. The underwriting is really, really in-depth and everything always comes out. So that's the only thing that's killing before and after. Other little deal killers are net worth and liquidity, experience, which you've already talked about. It's my first deal. That's okay. But what are you doing to compensate for that from a credit perspective? What are you bringing that offsets that credit risk. And weird asset classes. We get that sometimes. I'd like to borrow money for an aquarium, like a Sea World. We're going to get a killer whale. Okay. Maybe that's an SBA loan, but it's it's not us and it's not most conventional lenders. Most conventional lenders are going to look for conventional asset classes. Office, retail, industrial, hospitality. The thing that kills or hurts deals that have already been apt besides surprises that are hidden or surprises that aren't hidden. Things like title issues that nobody knew about. One thing that can be planned for that should always be planned for on purchases especially is underwriting the real estate tax number. If it's not a triple net property, you have to be really careful to look at. You're buying a property from a guy that bought the building in 1950 when it was worth 25 bucks and he's been keeping his tax bill low and now you're buying it for $10 million. Well, your tax bill is going to change and it's going to change meaningfully. So it's important to underwrite to the new tax number.
0: Yes, thanks for mentioning. We tried to mention a few times so people can really make sure that they look at that because it can definitely be a huge deal killer.
1: And also, it has to be not just considered from a cash flow and a net operating income perspective, but it also has to be considered from a valuation perspective. You're building a value off of an income capitalization approach, right? You're taking the net operating income and you're applying a cap rate in order to come up with a value. Well, if that real estate tax number is going to go up and your NOI is going to go down because you don't have like a true triple net property and you're not passing these expenses off to to tenants, your valuation is going to tank. You're not getting a good deal. Always calculate a new tax number. Worst case scenario is the best way to plan.
0: And just to go a little bit further on that, also, even if it is a triple net property, some tenants have pre-negotiated that their tax cannot be increased buy too much upon a sale. So it's also very important to take a look at the lease and what that tenant has agreed to. That's a great
1: point. That's a great point, Steph. You're 100% correct. That's the the value of the estoppel letters. But yeah, at the end of the day, some people overlook it. Get a good attorney that has experience with commercial real estate and hire people that you trust or that come from referrals or that have a, a really proven track record to help protect you from variables like this. And it's one of the many examples of why experience matters. If you don't listen to this podcast and it's your first deal, you may miss something like this that somebody else wouldn't miss, right? Just like you said, it's a triple net lease that I have with this tenant. Ah, well, you know, they're capped at 10% per year and your real estate tax number went up 300%. You're going to taste that.
0: Even if they are, if their lease did not say anything if it's a coffee shop for example they could not afford it so they're just going to go out of business (laughs) so it's really important to take a look at all of these things so we appreciate you bringing that up let's go over a deal that you're either currently working on that is nearly approved or just go over an example of a deal that you have recently worked on.
1: I'll talk about a funky deal because we're navigating it now. I don't think we'll close it tomorrow, but we'll, we'll, we'll probably close it early next week. It's approved, but it's been an adventure. This deal is a couple hundred units in California. It's a fractured condo, meaning that the Owner owns, uh, in this case, I think it's 52% of the condos in a condominium complex. So he's got majority and he controls the HOA, but he doesn't have enough to qualify for agency Fannie or Freddie regular multifamily debt. It's really very much treated as a kind of one-off type commercial deal. It's a portfolio of properties. We faced all kinds of challenges, including the tax number, which is one of the reasons why I bought it up, and that hit the NOI, which the net operating income, which hit the debt yield, which. It proceeds, meaning the total loan amount. This is maybe a $22 million loan. It's a 10-year fixed, 30-year amortization, non-recourse with five years of IO, IO being short for interest only. I don't recall leverage, but I think it's probably between 70 and 75% LTV. And we got several quotes on that deal. And we went with the most aggressive quote. One of the adventures has been In the CMBS market, CMBS lenders, before they securitize a loan, they have to find a B-piece buyer, an institutional investor to buy the top higher risk piece of the debt. And this particular lender, in the end, struggled with finding a B-piece buyer. But it is an example of a reason that if you're going to get a CMBS loan and you've got anything that's a little quirky, you do want to try to get in bed with a lender that's buying their own B piece. And there's a few guys out there that do it. That's an example of one deal that is approved, that's had some adventure that will close hopefully in the next day or two.
0: How many lenders did you go to in order to get this
1: one? Sometimes we just know exactly who to go to. I think it's in most cases. In this case, because of the one-off nature of the deal and some nuances to it, we probably went to 10 big institutional lenders, names like Deutsche Bank and Citibank, to their CMBS department. And we probably produced five super competitive quotes. Generally, that's atypical for us because we usually have a pretty good idea of who to go to, and what everyone's terms are going to be, particularly on multifamily. We know the commercial market really well, but it's a smaller space with less players, with more defined boxes. Commercial just broadens up a lot, and sometimes we have to throw more than one dart.
0: What are some important things that us investors should keep in mind with their loans, as we prepare for a possible recession?
1: There's two scenarios. Scenario one is I'm getting a new loan or I'm buying a property and scenario two is I'm refinancing. So if you don't have more than five years left, three years left on your loan, you may wanna consider refinancing to a longer term fixed rate loan. And for new loans, you want a long term fixed rate loan. I've been through cycles and I've been on the receiving end, not in a good way, unfortunately. Speaking from experience, long term, fixed rate, non-recourse, long amortization, assumable debt is what you want. For commercial, you wanna get 10 years fixed. For multifamily, you want between 10 and 30 years fixed. This is if you're a long-term investor. If you're a merchant builder or you're flipping stuff, then you're going to ride the tide in both directions, tread carefully. You want your debt to be non-recourse with carve-outs. So that means that if something goes wrong, that the lender can't come after you personally, they can only take back the property. With a looming recession on the horizon, some borrowers and investors may want to consider that even though the highest leverage provides the best cash on cash returns it also is the highest source of risk in an economic downturn because your ability to service the debt becomes severely hamstringed by really small, even incremental hits to the, to the, to the economics of the property, like rental income or vacancy. So my advice is if you're going to weather the storm and you're a long-term investor, you want really long-term fixed rate, long amortization to improve cash flow, non-recourse debt.
0: What is the best way for people to find We're the good lenders.
1: Whether you're buying your first retail center or developing a thousand unit mixed use property in an urban infill environment, most folks hire an experienced financial intermediary. And that doesn't mean ask your residential mortgage broker to find a commercial loan for you. Even guys like Related Group, which many people will know of, they hire really smart capital markets advisors to help them arrange the most competitive possible financing for their deals. It's important that you choose someone that's very experienced, preferably if it's a referral or if you've worked with them before or they've got a proven track record. But the smartest thing to do is to hire a super experienced capital markets advisor, tell them about your deal, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and see if it's a fit for them or if they can point you in the right direction.
0: Let's say someone goes to a meetup. They are really just getting started. They don't know who to ask and someone does refer them to a good lender. How can that person make sure (laughs) that this lender is legitimate?
1: I'd still put a smart capital markets advisor in the middle this is going to sound self-serving and i but i have to do it so if they're if you're asking this question and somebody's listening to it and they're listening to your show they should email us we'll at least Give them an indication for no fee. Hey, that sounds good. That doesn't sound good. Talk to this person, talk to that person, or hey, we can help. So, as capital markets advisors, when it comes to CMBS and agency debt, we don't even charge a fee. We've got very high volume wholesale relationships with lenders, and they have to take care of us themselves on the back end. I often get emails from either former clients or friends of clients that are like, hey Blake, does this make sense? What do you think about this? Do you guys want to work on this? Does this term sheet look right? I'm always happy to give it a quick look and let you know on the house. The market is really dynamic. Products and options vary by sub-market, by sub-asset class. Industrial is not industrial. Industrial is mini storage, self-storage, flex, cold storage, distribution, the space is just so nuanced. If you've got a term sheet, send it over, we'll take a peek at it. And if you're looking for a loan over $2 million for general commercial or over a million dollars for multifamily, we'll put it together for you. We're also pretty friendly with some great advisors on the bank and credit union side. I'm happy to make introductions.
0: Thank you. That's very generous of you. Is there anything else that our audience should know that you think is important for them to know?
1: There are more options then you know. Approach it carefully, do your research, surround yourself by smart people, and everything's going to be okay.
0: How can our listeners get in touch with you?
1: You can email us at capital, C-A-P-I-T-A-L, at janover.ventures. There's no .com or .net. It's .ventures. You could email me personally. It may take me a bit to respond at Blake at janover.ventures. Janover is J-A-N like Nancy, O-V like Victor, E-R like Robert. Oh, you could also call
0: All of this information will be under show notes, as always. So you can just scroll down and find Blake's information. Like, thank you so much for your time. This was very valuable for me and everyone here. And we look forward to hopefully having you again soon.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. If you haven't subscribed
0: to our podcast yet, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you can continue your education and you can also subscribe to our newsletter on our website montecarlorei.com. I will also put a link under show notes. You'll be able to subscribe at the top of our main page and I will see you next time.